Open up in your Bibles to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. Next week, we'll be starting a new series in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians next week. Um, I want you guys to be reading the first 14 verses as we prepare of that for, for Ephesians. Okay, so this week, tomorrow morning, open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Start reading over and over the first 14 verses. We're just going to study one verse a week for the next 14 weeks starting next week. But today we want to lay some groundwork about what it means to be the church what it means for us to be Reality Santa Barbara as we gather together for and around Jesus and as we scatter into the world on mission with Jesus. What does that mean and how are we shaped? In other words, why are we here? Why are we here in this gym? But more importantly, why are we here as existing as human beings? That's what we want to cover today. Read with me a few verses from Psalm 92 just as a backdrop for who we are and who we need to continue to endeavor, endeavor to be. It says in Psalm 92 verse 1, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by the ten-string harp and the melody of the lyre. And look at verse 4. You thrill me, Lord with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. Let's pray. Lord, that's the truth right there. You thrill us with what you have done for us. Lord, even, even though we are your church and your people, we were once your enemies. We, we were separated from you. We were in rebellion to you. And even while we were enemies... God, you gave your son Jesus to die in our place on the cross because of your great love, that we might be brought to you, reconciled to you, that we might experience your love and act out your love in the world. And God, that has thrilled us. And we're thrilled in this season that you're expanding our mission, that more men and women and children are going to know your love and the forgiveness of sins and the removal of guilt and shame because of the launching of this campus. Thank you, Lord. It's your doing. It's not ours. But you thrill us with what you've done. And so we rejoice today and we just ask that we would truly be a community of Christ who is formed by your spirit and your truth. So speak those things into our lives today, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife, her name's Kate. I love her. I love my wife. And yeah. Thank you, Ruth. She's good looking. She's smart. She's an incredible cook. She's an unbelievable mom. She's an incredible woman. And she's short. <laughs> petite is maybe the more proper way to say it. She, she's petite. And I'm venti. I'm beyond grande. I'm a venti. 
I'm six foot six with my vans on. And she's five foot four with platforms on. And so I have a chiropractor on call 24-7. Because when my wife and I make out, it comes at a cost to my body. She's a long ways down there. And I enjoy kissing my wife on the mouth, and so I'm frequently bending down to do so. And so I I literally actually have a chiropractor on call. He came to my house the other night. I love my wife. And we had a long period of of dating. We were young when we started to date. She had just turned 18. Just turned 18. And I was a little bit older. And so, you know, we had a lot of growing up to do. So we, we didn't rush into anything. But, but we took a while to date each other and to get to know each other. And there's one moment that stands out in my heart and my mind, perhaps more than any other. And it was one evening we were together, and, and we'd been together for some time now. And she held my face. And she looked me in the eyes. And she said, You will never be alone again. We will always be together. You'll never face this life without a partner. And I I reflect on that moment often. It makes me happy. But it helps me to realize why I exist why you exist, why we exist. We exist for connection. God made you, God made me, God made us for connection. And I'm not just talking about marriage anymore. That was my illustration. Move on. We were made for connection. Primarily in the original cause and purposes of God, we were made for connection with God. And then subsequently, we are made for connection with one another. And where connection is absent, humanity goes awry. Where connection is broken. Where where we're deprived of connection. Where connection doesn't happen, humanity struggles. With loneliness, fear, rejection, frustration anxiety, wherever there's a a failure of connectivity, there's difficulty for humanity. Because we were not made to be alone. We were made to be connected. And the reason why we can talk about it that way is because God himself is connectivity. In other words, God is community. What is a biblical understanding of God? God is a trinity, right? God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God has always existed as a trinity. God has always been a community. Our God, though he's one God, exists eternally in three persons. He is one what? Three who's. One essence, but Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. Don't even try to make sense of it. Simply is who God is. 
And what, what we glean from that is that God is community who has always existed and lived in connectivity, in loving relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's always been loving relationship between them. We see this manifest in the time-space continuum when the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, is draped in humanity, born of a virgin, and walks on the earth. We see his connectivity to the Father, that he relies upon the Father. He loves the Father. He prays to the Father. And that the Father appears in a voice in the time-space continuum at the baptism of Christ and says, this is my beloved Son. And with him I am well pleased. And Jesus would speak of the Holy Spirit who would be poured out on the church and given to the world who would come and glorify the Son and testify of the Son. And so we see this mysterious thing called intertrinitarian loving communication. Communication within the Godhead between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Continued and unbroken connectivity. Oh, but there was a moment where that connectivity was broken. And it was the darkest moment in the history of the world. Jesus would draw attention to it this way, with this way, by saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And nature would draw attention to that moment by causing the sun to go black and there to be no light for three hours. And by rocks shaking and splitting open. And the grave would draw attention to that moment by releasing those who had died from the graves. We read all of this in the Gospel of Matthew, where when the sins of Brit Merrick were heaped upon the person of Jesus Christ, when he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf, on your behalf, the Father turned his face away. For the first time ever, there was a break in connectivity. Of course, there would be reconnection, and the resurrection was proof of that. Proof of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice of the Son on the cross in our place. But, but I want to draw your attention for a moment to what broke connectivity in that eternal relationship. What, what broke connectivity was sin. Sin is what broke connectivity. Sin is what subverted what was supposed to be. What was supposed to be connectivity, loving, unending relationship. What broke that even within the Godhead, though momentarily? Sin. Not Christ's sin. He had none. That's why he was able to pay the price for our sins. But our sins placed upon him. The wrath of God poured out upon him cause a momentary break in connectivity. It wasn't the first time that God would suffer this sort of broken connectivity. The first time was thousands of years before in a place called the Garden of Eden where God had, after creating everything else, made man. And in an expression of his design of connectivity, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. He looked at all of creation and said, it is good, 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 it's very good. Except for man. He said, it's it's not good for man to be alone. And so, 
the crowning achievement of God, woman was made. And that would that would take care of some of humanity's need for connectivity, though certainly not all of it, because we were made to be connected to God. And so we were in the garden. God walked in the cool of the day in the garden, and, and he was connected with Adam, and even they were connected with him. And it was a loving, meaningful relationship. And of course, we know where the story turns next. Adam and Eve mistrusted God. It was a woman first, but we won't dwell on that. (laughs) That Eve and Adam mistrusted God. They sinned against God. And in that, what we commonly call in our culture, the fall, was the break of connectivity. In fact, they were banished from the garden where God was manifesting his presence. Because of sin now, there came the first break in connectivity. Later on, Christ would come and experience that break on our behalf that we might be reconnected. But the disconnect was thorough. They were banished from the garden. And after that came a series of brokenness. Because one of their sons would kill the other. A continued expression of sins destroying God's design for connectivity. And many of our lives express that same thing now. You see, for many of us, sin has destroyed connectivity. Some of you are the victims of adultery, of radical breaking connectivity. Some of you are the perpetrators of adultery a radical break in connectivity. Some of us have lied so much in our lives that it's complicated and ultimately broken and confounded connectivity. Some of us have been so selfish that it's made true connectivity with us almost impossible. Some of us have refused to forgive those who have sinned against us. And so, connection hasn't been reestablished. Rather, disconnect continues to grow as our bitterness grows within us. Our lives are evidence of the disconnecting power of sin. Just in our relationships with one another. I've got relationships in my life right now that that are broken, disconnected because of sin. Some of it mine, some of it theirs. We're working on it. But more importantly, some of your lives are an illustration, are evidence of your disconnect from God. And you are here today to be reconnected to God because nothing satisfies your soul You were made for connectivity with God. You were made to be in relationship with God. And your soul is restless until it finds rest in Him. You've tried to deal with this restlessness in all sorts of ways. By consuming, right? Getting more stuff. 
try more things. You've tried in all sorts of ways to deal with this restlessness. You cannot because you were created to be connected to God and your sin has disconnected you from God. And in his love, he's brought you here today. So that what you need to do today is repent of your sin, put your faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and be saved. Some of you, that's, that, that, that's why you're here. You weren't exactly sure why you're here. You, you were inextricably drawn. That's why you're here. You need to be connected to God. You'll do that today. You'll just say, God, I, I'm not sure all that this guy's talking about, but I, I, I know I'm disconnected from you and I know it's my sin. And I, I'm here and now that you died on the cross for my sin. So though I don't get it all, I trust it all. And I ask you to save me. I turn from my sins that are disconnected to us to Jesus who has reconnected us, put my faith and my hope in him and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to deal with my shame, my condemnation, my guilt, my brokenness to make me new. Some of you say that right now in your hearts. Some of you are just going, yeah, what he said, Lord. That'll work. Others of you have already done that and you've become a Christian, washed in the blood of Jesus, whatever that means. And, and we together have become the church because the message that we just talked about of disconnectivity and reconnection, the message of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we've responded to it. And now what we're discovering together then is those who have responded to the gospel is that it has profound implications for our lives. Profound implications for our lives. It changes reality. We become new people with a new way to live. The New Testament says, if any man or woman or child is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. We are new people with a new way to live. And now, in starting this campus, we are navigating, we're trying to discover, we're trying to be faithful in living together in a new way. So what does that look like? What does it look like when a group of people have been made new, formed and informed by the gospel, and and now they're trying to do life together? They're trying to be faithful to who God is, a loving community. And they're trying to be a loving community. In other words, let me make it real plain and quit being so theologically trippy. Let me just say this. What does it mean to be Reality Santa Barbara from this day forward? Just a couple of points here. As we've been formed by the gospel, the first thing that it means for us to be together is that we will be Christocentric. I went back into theology talk. Christocentric. What does that mean? Christ-centered. You get that. We will be, the church must be, every church must be, centered on and around the person of Jesus Christ. So that when we get together, we're incredibly cognizant of the fact that we're coming to Jesus, we're coming for Jesus, and we're gathering around Jesus. So that will affect a lot of things. It will, it'll affect what time we get here. We're, we're coming to Jesus, so you just, you just don't want to be late. He, he never is, so you don't want to be. But, but, but we have this mindset, Cam, I'm, I'm going to Jesus. 
If we're doing that, that, that'll affect what time we get here. That will affect our expectations. Our expectations will be pinned on the person of Christ, not on anybody else. We won't go looking for somebody to fix us. We'll go looking for the person, Jesus Christ. You see, that, that's going to profoundly affect things. It's going to affect our worship. When we realize, okay, we're gathering to, for, and around Jesus. Because the opposite of a Christocentric perspective is an anthropocentric perspective. A perspective that's centered on man, humanity, anthropocentric. And see, what what that will do is that will always disappoint. That will always disappoint. People will always let you down. I, I can guarantee you as one of the pastors here at Reality that I will let you down. Ask anyone who's been at reality for a while. They'll tell you, oh yeah, I remember that one Sunday. (laughs) I can guarantee you that any single person that you're putting your hope in will let you down. Only Jesus can never disappoint. So what we want to say then is since Jesus saved us, since he's the Savior who loves us, since he is the one who's reconnected us to God, let's make it all about him as Reality Santa Barbara. Let's make it all about him and let's not let it be about people, their success, their gifts, their talents, or their failures and the way that they disappoint us, all of us together. Let's make it about Jesus because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. It's his church. It's his church. So when we say we're going to church, we say I'm going to Jesus's church to be with Jesus, to be around Jesus, for Jesus. I'm hoping in Jesus. For that reason, we will never call anybody at reality senior pastor because Jesus is a senior pastor of the church. No man should ever be called senior pastor. Because 1 Peter chapter 5 says that Jesus is the, in the Greek, archepoimen, chief shepherd, senior pastor over the church. So we gather together to, for, and around Jesus to follow Jesus and not anybody. We will not only then be a Christocentric community, but we will also be a Community of celebration. That's the second point. We will be a community of celebration because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And that's why I prefaced the sermon with that passage from Psalm 92. Again, verse four. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. So as a gospel-formed community who gathers around Jesus Christ, new people with a new way to live, we will celebrate. We will worship passionately. It's not an issue of what it looks like per se, though there should be freedom in that. Rather, it's an issue of the heart. I I don't care if your hands are in your pocket. If your heart is exulting in the fact that Jesus Christ saved you from hell, and death, and the debt of your sins, and the power of Satan, and has delivered you to the kingdom of his beloved son. You see, we will celebrate in this place because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Not only will we be a Christocentric community and a community that celebrates, we will be a community that repents. 
Because Jesus forgives sin. We will repent of our sins quickly and frequently as we sin against him and one another. We will be a community that repents. Not only because there's forgiveness, but because on the cross, God demonstrated to all of humanity the horror of sin. Because we see that sin is horrific in the fact that it's an offense against a holy God and in its implications for the well-being of humanity. Because sin destroys our relationships and ourselves and breaks connectivity between each other and God, we will be quick to repent of our sins. If this is going to be your community, you will be called to repent of your sins frequently. I will be called to repent of my sins. Repentance should become to us a beautiful word, not a difficult word to hear. Because 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim that we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. You see, but in this community, his word will have an extremely high place in our hearts. See, inerrant, living and active word of God. We'll preach it and we'll respond to it in repentance. And we'll experience as a community what the community of Israel experienced at Pentecost when Peter said, repent of your sins that times of refreshing may come from being in the presence of God. So repentance will be a joyful thing for our community and a frequent thing for our community. And it will be normative in our community that we call each other to repentance. Not that we become sin sniffers. May it never be. But rather that we become Lovers who care about connectivity with God and one another, and sin breaks that. So we will lovingly call each other to repentance. We will not only be a Christocentric community and a community that celebrates because of what Christ has done and a community that repents because sin is destructive and there's forgiveness in Christ, but we will be a community of acceptance. We will accept each other with all of our messes because Jesus has accepted us with all of our messes. We will accept each other with all of our messes because Jesus has accepted us with all of our messes. And we'll accept everyone. We need to make room for everyone who needs acceptance. Any? Any person struggling with any issue should be able to come in here and feel loved and accepted by Christ and Christ's community. Those who struggle with all kinds of sexual brokenness. Those in the homosexual community. Friends without homes. Friends without citizenship. Anybody should be able to come in here and find acceptance. You see, because for Jesus, belonging preceded belief. Jesus never said to the whore, believe in who I am and repent, and then you could come into my presence. Instead, they, they came to Christ. Never said to the drunkard, clean yourself up, believe in who I am, 
demonstrate that you have theological understanding and then, no, rather, he was with the drunkard. He was with the broken, the worst sinners in culture. He was their friend. And then, as they experienced his love and his person, they did come to believe. But belonging precedes belief. Anybody can come in here and belong because God loves the world. God doesn't love Christians to the exclusion of the world. God loves the world. And God seems to be most passionate about the most broken. So the most broken should come in and find acceptance. What we need to realize is that we then are together broken. Brokenness just looks different in different people. But because of Christ, God has accepted us with all of our messes, so we have to accept one another. Romans 15 says, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. That's what forms our community, so that God will be given glory. And the way that you've been accepted by Christ, accept one another. We'll not only be a Christocentric community and a community of celebration and a community of repentance and acceptance, but we must be a community of forgiveness. We will forgive one another of all of our faults, flaws, and failures because Jesus has forgiven us. And scripture says this in Colossians 3. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. In this community, we're going to sin against one another. We're going to fail each other. We're going to offend each other. And, And we forgive each other because God has forgiven us. Listen, no party is more offended than God. And any and all of our sin, no party is more offended than God. He's always the most offended. He's always the most ripped off. Sin affects God most. So much so that he gave his son. And because we are forgiven people, people, excuse me, we are called to forgive. And that's not easy. This week, that's been the biggest struggle in my life. This week. You'll hear about a lot of my struggles here, but that, this week, that was a, the biggest challenge in my life was to forgive some people who this week have let me down, failed me, offended me. And I found myself getting bitter, vindictive, angry, justifying myself. I've been working real hard to forgive this week. And the Holy Spirit gives us power to do that. The Holy Spirit gives us power to forgive. For some of you, that's the biggest issue in your life right now. I just want to say this to you. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they deserve it. In fact, they don't. They may not have made amends. That's that's not the issue. 
God demonstrated his love for us and that he gave his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. Forgiveness isn't something that's deserved. Rather, it's undeserved. And a failure to forgive breaks connectivity, not only amongst ourselves, but somehow with God. Because Jesus said in the Gospels, you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. And I, I don't know exactly what that means, but that's troublesome enough that we need to be a community that works real hard to forgive. We'll not only be a community of forgiveness, acceptance, repentance, celebration, who gathers around Christ, but we'll be a community of generosity. If, if we're formed by the gospel, then we must be a generous people. We will be generously giving for every need because God generously gave his son for our greatest need. And one of the most wonderful explanations of God is generous giver. For God so loved the world, he gave. And we are most like God. We're best reflecting God, imaging God toward one another in the world when we are most generous. It's just an inescapable truth. A gospel-formed community is a community of generous people. So we'll give. That was the tone and the tenor of the early church. In Acts 2, it says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in home for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. I'm not saying that anybody here needs to sell everything they have. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that there's this real strong sense of sharing and generosity in the original incarnation of the church. And the community of Christ must always be generous because Christ is God's generosity toward us. So we will be generous, giving people. We'll not only be generous and forgiving and accepting and repentant and celebrative and gathered around Christ, but we will be a people who prays. We pray because we've been connected to God. And all connectivity denotes communion, relationship, speaking. We're a community that talks to God. And we're a community that God talks to. Again, the original incarnation of the church, Acts 1, says they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. And so we will pray to show our dependence upon and our connectivity to Christ. So we're going to be a community of prayer. And there'll be lots of prayer opportunities. You already heard about some from Pastor G in the announcements today. This community will pray. There'll be times when we gather on Sundays and that's all we do is pray. But throughout the week, we got prayer meetings. Prayer meetings for the youth. Prayer meetings for the kids. Prayer meetings for the college students. Tuesday morning prayer meetings. Sunday morning pre-service prayer meetings. Prayer for missionaries. Prayer for the nations. Prayer for our recent church plant or our soon coming church plant. There'll be all these opportunities to pray. And we will pray because we have been reconnected to God. And so we'll speak to him and be dependent upon him. And finally, the last thing I'll say is this. We will be a community on mission. Because God has invited us to live for something bigger than ourselves. God has invited us to live for something bigger than ourselves. And Jesus said, 
John 17 and John 20. As the Father sent me, I now send you. And so part of our self-understanding, part of our identity is we are sent people. We will live life on mission. We'll endeavor to do it together in community. We'll do it individually as we're the church scattered. But we are called to live life on mission because the mission of Christ has saved you. You now become a participant in the mission of Christ so that others might be saved. It's required of the community of Christ. A gospel-formed community is a community on mission. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In this reality, Santa Barbara, is what the church and any church should look like. You see, the church isn't a building, is it? Because, I mean, this, this is a gym. Like, we tried to hide it. We tried to fool you, but you weren't fooled, were you? You're like, hey, wait a minute. This is a gym. Yeah. So the church is in a building because this, this isn't a church building. The church is you, the church is me. The church is us together. The church is the gospel-formed people who've been reconnected to God by Christ and so now live differently. We look different when we gather as a church gathered, and we look and live differently when we scatter as a church scattered. You see, church is not an event you go to going to church. Church is who you are out in the world. We're not going to talk about going to church. We're going to talk about being the church. Okay? It can't, it can't just be an event. There is an event because we want to get together. We've all been saved by the blood of Jesus. We're all obsessed with Jesus, and so it's natural that we want to get together. Right, I'm part of a community of surfers. I want to be with surfers. Sometimes I want to be with dirt bikers. Sometimes I want to be with musicians. We all have these different communities. But above and all, above all of it, is the community of Christ. And so we will inevitably get together and get together frequently. But that's just part of who we are. That's the church gathered. And then we go and be the church scattered, living life on mission as a community of new people. Gospel formed community. And if we lay hold of this stuff, we'll have to work on it, right? It's not going to happen overnight. As we work on this stuff together, what that will keep us from is the horror of consumer Christianity. The horror of consumer Christianity, where you come into an event and it's already all about you. And you're thinking, well, the parking better be free next time. And you're thinking, I, I better get a chair. I don't want to end up on the floor like all these people on the floor. And the sermon had better not be that long next time. And they need to play my favorite songs. And it needs to meet my needs. You see, that's consumer Christianity. Because we all are consumers. We, we can't escape that. We're all consumers, right? We, we go to Amazon, and we go to iTunes, and we go to iShop, shop, we shop, can't stop shopping. We are all consumers. It's part of who we are as Americans, but we had better not be Christian consumers. We had better not have a consumeristic Christianity. So we won't. If we make it all about Jesus and we celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done and we repent of our sins and our selfishness, and we accept one another in love and humility. And we forgive one another. 
and we live generously toward each other and the world and the mission. You see, that, that will keep us from consumerism. And we will find ourselves eventually delivered from the evil that is consumer Christianity. It'll keep us from being egocentric, anthropocentric, consumeristic pew potatoes. And my call for us would be to at least be on a trajectory. At least be on a trajectory toward Christocentrism. Celebrative community. Forgiveness, acceptance, generosity, mission, prayer. If you're not willing to be on that trajectory, don't come next week. In all humility and kindness, don't come next week. Because it's our first Sunday and it's already standing room only and there's people seated on the floors and we need the seats. So if you're not willing to be rattled out of your consumerism on day one and start to work on that, there are other churches and other places with open pews. Go fill them. But, on the other hand, and then some of you would say, well, God, that's, that's tough because you, I'm, I'm, I'm needy and I'm broken right now. But let me suggest to you that in your neediness and brokenness, and I understand that because I feel that way in many ways in my life at this moment. In your neediness and brokenness, if you'll, if you'll start to make everything about Jesus, if you'll start to celebrate who he is and what he's done, if you'll start to repent of your sins, if you'll start to forgive people, live generously, pray more and live life on mission, I think that all of those things will be met in Christ. All of your needs, all of your brokenness will be healed. And, and it's not behaviorism. I'm not saying this is how Christians need to act and behave. What we have is certain truths about Jesus that form certain truths about us. Jesus is the Savior of the world, the Sovereign Lord, so we make it all about Him. Jesus died on the cross and saved us and gave us new life, so we celebrate Him. Jesus is the one who showed the horror of sins on the cross and forgives sins through the cross, so we repent. Jesus accepted the worst in society, so we accept each other. Jesus forgave us of our tremendous sins, so we forgive one another. Jesus is a generosity of God, and so we're generous people. Jesus connected us to God, and so we're prayerful people. Jesus saved us in his mission, so we go on mission to see others saved. See, it's not, it's not behaviorism. It is appropriate response to the gospel, to the fact that Christ has reconnected us. And, and if we're willing to do these things, I think we're going to have a lot of fun in the next 20 years or so. I think we're going to have a lot of fun and see a lot of beautiful restoration in our lives and in the city of Santa Barbara. So I, for one, am willing to give it a go. Are you? Lord, we thank you for this beautiful opportunity. Thank you for that good news that we heard of what you've done, Christ. You've reestablished our connection to the Father. We are now accepted and loved, forgiven, adored, rejoiced over by God. 
Even though we're still bad, you, Jesus, are good on our behalf. Thank you for being our representative and our Savior. Holy Spirit, these things that we've spoke of, work them in our lives. Thank you that we don't have to just try to muster up some religious performance. But we've actually been changed by the gospel. And we actually have your spirit in us who is the power to live the life of Christ in his community. Work these things in us together, Lord. We long to see more people saved in this great city. So help us to explain and expose you, Christ to as many people as possible.